What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode seven of the Gridiron Authority podcast. My name is Keith Thornton, and with me, as always, is Mike Adams. What's up, Mike? Uh, we got a lot going on today. I uh, got a lot of news to cover. Uh, Antonio Brown, we got holdouts to cover. We're going to be covering the lack of starters playing in the preseason so far, and then just some headlines throughout the league for the week two of the preseason game. So a lot of stuff to cover. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. All right, week two of the preseason is in the books. Uh, that means we're two weeks closer to the NFL regular season. So that's an exciting uh, exciting time of the year for me. Um, let's get started with some NFL news and notes. In Oakland, Antonio Brown, the last podcast we talked about how his helmet was banned. Um, the development this week is that he went out and asked people to find a newer version of his helmet that was legal in the NFL's eyes. He found the helmet. Now, breaking news coming out this morning is saying that helmet has failed the NFL test, so he's back at square one. Um, the good news for the Raiders is he's at practice. I don't know how this is going to end, but uh, what have you heard? I mean, a lot of the same stuff. He he found the updated helmet of the one he was using. Apparently, it's not going to work for whatever reasons. Those details I haven't read yet. I don't know if there's still something wrong with it or if it's still outdated. But uh, he did find, I mean, did find the helmet he wanted. Now it's it's kind of back to step one. I mean, the uh, the good news is that he, he is in practice. He's going through walkthroughs. He's running, you know, some light scrimmages and things like that. So from a health standpoint, it seems like he's good to go. Now it just seems like they need to find the proper helmet. Um, I want to say it's not going to be a big deal, but with Antonio Brown, you never know. He uh, He does tend to take little things and make them big things. So... It is something to keep an eye on, but at at the moment, I mean, it's looking up for the for the Raiders and looking up for Antonio Brown as long as he can, you know, put his immature thoughts aside and just grab a proper helmet, get on the field and help his team win some games. Yeah, I think Antonio Brown, a lot of his drama episodes that he has don't really lead to much, and I fully expect him to be ready to go for week one of the regular season. Um whether he'll be super effective or not, it's still to be seen. But from what I hear coming out of Raiders camp, I think he's going to be ready to roll. Yeah, seem, seems like it. I mean, it, it's kind of the same story, different team, different year right now. So I do expect him to be on the field. I do expect him to put up Antonio Brown-style numbers. Um, he just has to move past the helmet situation. It seems like his feet's good to go, though. So um, like that, all signs are pointing up for the for the Raiders in terms of this situation. But you know, but still something to keep a little eye on just in case. Now for more wide receiver news up in New England, Josh Gordon brought back a full reinstatement from his indefinite suspension that he had for the substance abuse policy. It sounds like he's not going to be allowed to play in the next preseason game, but he will be uh, eligible to play week one of the regular season. So that's got to be a big boost for Tom Brady, right? Yeah, I mean they've uh, they've been a little depleted at the receiver core. Um, missing Gronkowski obviously doesn't help. Um, he was obviously a huge part of that offense. So they've been they tried moving Etling to wide receiver, didn't work out. They released him. Uh, been trying some different guys in there, but outside of Julian Edelman and maybe one or two other guys, they've been pretty depleted. And 
we we saw last year with Josh Gordon in the offense that they are a better offense. Josh Gordon, you know, even though he's not the player he was four or five years ago, uh, he is still, you know, an above average wide receiver. So anytime you add that to Tom Brady, uh, it's a it's a big deal. So I think it's it's great news for him. I mean, it seems like he's actually been putting in the effort, um, had a few bumps in the road. But it's great news for him to get back on the field. Um, hopefully, he'll be able to keep it straight this time. And um, I mean, he should only help the the Patriots' offense. So this has to be his last shot, right? I mean, I don't think he can get suspended again and ever play again in the NFL. I think this is his last chance to succeed, right? I, I would I would think so, just from a, a team standpoint. I mean, the NFL may allow him to play technically, but I don't know after if he messes up again, I don't know what team would sign him unless he, I mean, unless he puts up monster numbers this year and gets suspended for four games next year or something like that. Um, I don't know what team would give him another shot. You know, at, at this point, maybe if he goes a year or two or, you know, two years without anything happening and then he has a little bump in the road and misses a few games, um, I, this has to be his last shot, honestly. Um, hopefully he can keep it straight. Uh, it seems like he's putting in the effort. It seems like he wants to, um, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it than what we see, obviously, but I mean, hopefully for his sake, uh, just from a personal standpoint, he can keep it, keep it, uh, on the straight and narrow. So. Yeah, I, I, I hope so for him. I mean, he's a good, good player. I just, it, it sucks to see something like that happen to a guy like that. So I'm, I'm cheering for him. Yeah, absolutely. And over in Indianapolis, I've got to ask you this. What the hell's happening with Andrew Luck? They It sounded like, oh, he just has a sprained calf or something. And then it turned into, I think the owner said, a small little bone issue is his exact words, which made no sense to me. Now they're saying it's a high ankle issue. And last report I read was that they're optimistic, cautiously, that he can make the regular season debut. So I don't even know if he's going to be ready for week one. What is going on in Indianapolis? Uh, it's it's hard to say. I mean, it's we're getting differing reports every single day, every single week, it seems like. Um, with Andrew Luck, it's, it's kind of hard to tell because, you know, when he missed the season a couple years ago, it started off as, you know, oh, it's just a little shoulder thing. He'll miss a game or two, and then it turned into, oh, he'll be back in a couple more weeks, and then it turned into he's missing half the season and then all of a sudden he was gone for the entire season. so i mean with a leg problem i'm i'm hoping it doesn't turn into that i don't think it'll turn into that um i think they they are being pretty cautious with it just based on his previous injury that he had with his shoulder so um but from a fantasy standpoint since we usually work that into the show i mean it does it does put some hesitation on my half of of drafting andrew luck he's a guy that i would definitely think long and hard about before drafting at this point, just uh, just from prior history and, and how everything's gone with him in the past. So, And it's scary with him because he, when he plays, he's so good. Um, I've already done several fantasy drafts this year where I've taken him as my quarterback because he was a good value with the pick I picked him at. But now I'm sitting there, he could be having to go to my option B uh, at the quarterback position, and it just kind of – it's starting to get a little frustrating with him because this seems to be every preseason. There's a question whether he's going to be ready to go or not, but I just wish we could get some kind of answer as to what the injury is. Surely somebody knows. I mean, a bone issue, calf strain, high ankle, that's all completely different. Um, so I just wish they'd give us some kind of indication of what the injury actually is. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's it's something that could end up being, you know, it could be a dire thing for someone if they draft him as a number one quarterback, but it could be a season-saving situation if they draft him, like you said, as an option B. If if it comes down to the drafts and this situation still going on and he slides down the board and you get him as your second quarterback in the 10th, 12th round, and then all of a sudden it turns out he's actually ready to play, then you, you again, you just got the steal of the draft. Um, kind of like what we were talking about with, with Zeke Elliott uh, last episode uh, you know if he hasn't signed with Dallas by the time you do your draft and you get him kind of a little bit later than you were expecting you know it could be another steal of the draft so uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on um, I mean hopefully we get some more news coming out I'm not expecting it because they haven't been very forthcoming so far but uh, I mean hopefully it's it's something that we can get settled out here in the next week as most fantasy drafts will be will be happening in the next week week and a half so, uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. So another quarterback news, this is always an interesting one. Uh, the Eagles backup quarterback and the third string quarterback both get dinged up and in comes Josh McCown, the old journeyman from retirement to join the Eagles. Typically this wouldn't really be newsworthy, but when you look at Carson Wentz over the last several years, I think Nick Foles has played pretty much every year. Carson Wentz has played maybe except for his rookie year. So this could be decently significant. I think it was a good move by the Eagles because Josh McCown's never really been a great starter, but he's always been a solid backup, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is a a win-win for the Eagles, honestly, uh, with Carson Wentz's injury issues over the last couple of seasons. If he does go down and has to miss a couple of weeks, you do have a a capable starter in Josh McCown. I mean, he's a guy that's not going to be overwhelmed by the situation with the team that they have around him. I mean, say Carson Wentz misses three games. I think Josh McCown is a guy that could come in and potentially win one or two of those. Will he win all three? Probably not, but he could, he could keep you afloat at least for those few weeks. Secondly, I mean, he is a, he is a a great locker room guy. The jets kept him on for, for uh, last season, just so he could mentor uh, Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold said that, you know, that experience was invaluable. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that Carson Wentz isn't going to have to look over his shoulder. He's not going to have to worry about, is this guy coming in to take my job like he did with Nick Foles a little bit? Because Nick Foles still believes he's an NFL starter, which he is. Uh, Josh McCown is just getting one more season in, one more team in, and he's coming in to help coach up Carson Wentz. He's coming in to back up Carson Wentz, and he's there to support Carson Wentz. So from an Eagle standpoint, it's a win-win in their backup quarterback game. Absolutely. And then for some more bad news on the injury front, um, in San Diego, Derwin James out for up to three months. They say he's likely to go to injured reserve. This is a guy who was a first-team all-pro safety in his rookie season. Um, how much are they going to miss him in that backfield in the secondary? I mean, it's like if the Cowboys lost uh, – I mean, if the Cowboys lose Zeke Elliott, if he doesn't play for the next three or four months, it's – it's the same situation. That's the type of impact Irwin James has on that defense. Uh, like you said, first team all pro as a rookie, he's a guy that can defend the pass. He's a guy that can defend the run. He uh, rushes the quarterback very well. He could play up in the box. Uh, he's turned into a bit of a vocal leader out there. Um, I mean, all those guys from, from Florida state are, are very vocal. So um, that's something I think just the on the field play is, is, going to be huge that they're missing, but I also think that um, he has kind of taken that leadership role a little bit. So 
Um, I think the rest of the AFC West is getting a bit of a break, particularly the Chiefs, uh, who is obviously the Chargers' number one threat to win the division right now. So uh, it doesn't look good for the Chargers right now with some of the injuries they're having with the Melvin Gordon holdout. This is definitely something they can't afford to have. We'll have to keep an eye on it, see if they can uh, at least stay afloat and and uh, move on from there, I guess, and hopefully check back in on it in three months. And somehow this seems to happen every year to the Chargers, and maybe not injuries as bad, but it's setting it up to where it kind of looks like they're going to be bad the first few weeks, and then maybe they lose you know, four of the first six games, but then they have to make a run late at the year and uh, it seems like it happens every year, and I kind of expect this year to be the same. I I don't expect the the explosive start that a lot of these NFL pundits are talking about for the Chargers with these injuries. I mean, they've got their left tackle had a an embolism in his brain or whatever. They had a lot of injuries all over the field. Um, I think it's gonna be a slow start, but I do expect the Chargers to come back and uh, and compete. Yeah, it's it's something we see every year, particularly with the Chargers and the Texans. Every year they get a lot of preseason hype, and then they get a, either a devastating injury or they get a series of injuries that really kind of sets them back. Um, the difference with the Chargers, it seems like they always start slow, but then at the end of the year they're always right there and they're always a threat. Um, what I do worry about with both of us saying before that, you know, obviously you're a, a huge Chiefs fan. I mean, I've I've lived in the area a majority of my life, so I do, you know, I do like the Chiefs. Uh, so what I do worry about is toward the end of the season, if they're if the Chargers are gaining that head of steam, and now Derwin James comes back healthy, and you know, if Melvin Gordon does miss the first five six games, but then he signs the contract, you know, he's going to be fresh late in the season when a lot of people are running down. So, I mean, right now it looks like it could be, you know, a season crippler, but if they can, you know, stay afloat and then get these guys back later in the season and have fresh legs when everyone else is slowing down, it could be a huge advantage for the Chargers. So it is something to keep an eye on. It's something to think about. Um, it's a it's a loss right now, but at the end of the season, it could turn into a win. Absolutely. So let's change gears for a bit since we're talking about preseason injuries. What do you think of the way teams are utilizing their starters in the preseason this year? It used to be that the starters would play maybe a quarter in the first game, F in the second game, up to three quarters in the third game, and then typically they would play maybe a drive in the fourth game. This year, you don't see any starters out there at all. I mean, the Chiefs even talked about starting their starters for the whole first half of the game, yet they came out for two drives and were gone. And you see other games where they don't even play. So, um, smart move? Uh, you know, I I think it is from, from the team standpoint. I kind of see this from two aspects. I see it from the teams being really cautious and obviously you don't want to see like what happened with curse last week uh with the fractured leg uh you don't want to lose say a patrick mahomes or someone like that in a meaningless game honestly so i see it i see it from one side the teams are being really cautious they've invested a lot of money in these players uh they don't want to risk injury and so they're being cautious making sure nothing happens to them i mean they're getting plenty of reps in practice um where there's a lot less you know, chance of injury. So they're getting plenty of reps in practice. Um, the other side of it, a lot of players are just not necessarily refusing to play, but they're just saying, Hey, I don't need the preseason. Like I'll, I'll be ready to go come week one. Don't worry about that. So I, I kind of see it from a side of 
the players keep saying that they don't want four preseason games. They want one or two preseason games. So I kind of see it as the the players kind of silently protesting the four playoff game uh, scenario or the four preseason game scenario that we're in right now um, and trying to force the NFL's hand to to really look into this and say, you know, when they do the the collective bargaining agreement in the next year or two, you know, that's something that they're going to have to look into because if the starters aren't going to play anyways, then what's the point of having the game? So I think it's, it's something, like I said, a bit of a, a silent protest a little bit, I think from the players is how I'm kind of seeing it right now. Yeah. And I think there's a way to do it smartly. And I think that the chiefs are, are doing that. And granted, I watch the chiefs games cause they're my local market. So, uh, but you see guys like Juan Thornhill, who all during training camp and all the practices, he's running with the first team at free safety. Um, same thing with McCole Hardman. He's running in the slot. He's running with the starters. But in the preseason, they're actually having him run with the second team. So Because it's so valuable to get the rookies those reps in live action play that yeah. even though it might not be perfectly um, reflecting how it's going to be in the regular season because they're not playing with the starting offensive line and the starting defensive unit. They're still getting that live action. They're still getting to play. So I think obviously guys like Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, you don't really need to see them that much in the preseason because if you go to the, you know, we went to camp and looked at them, they're ready to roll. I, I feel like they could go out tomorrow and start a game and be just fine. Um, some of the rookies, however, McCall Hardman, all them, they need this this game rep time, and I think that that's the best way to manage it at this point. Give the fans what they want by giving them a drive or two of the starters and and just let them do something, you know, throw the ball down. It, it'd be stupid for them to have Mahomes come in for two drives and just hand the ball off and throw a couple screen passes. You know, let them go down the field, get some excitement into the game, get the starters and stars out, and let those rookies get in there and grind it out and get some reps. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think – Personally, I think four preseason games is probably a little too much. Um, I think if they even bumped it down to three games, I think it would be nice, you know, in all three games, if the first team played maybe a series or two, like you said, come in, play one, two series, maybe three series, and then use the rest of the games to get the rookies, the reps, and then to get some of those fringe players, some of those guys that, you know, are on the edge of making the team or some of those guys that could be potential practice squad guys, like getting them reps in an actual game situation in an NFL stadium with real NFL refs um, against other NFL, you know, caliber players, I think is huge. So, I mean, do they need four preseason games? Probably not. I think three would be fine. I think two would be the perfect scenario, honestly. Um for the players um, money wise, obviously it does hurt the NFL because now you're losing out on all those ticket sales and concession sales and all that stuff. Um, so I understand why the NFL itself is hesitant, hesitant, but at the same time, if a Pat Mahomes or someone like that is hurt in the preseason, then how much money are you going to be losing from his injury? You know? So it's something like I said, with the next CBA, it's something they need to look into. It's something they need to need to consider. Um, but right now, I mean, it is what it is that the starters, I guess, just aren't going to play very much this season and, and, uh, or this preseason. And we'll just have to wait to see what they look like come the regular season. So another thing that we'd talked about before the season started to keep an eye on was the new pass interference review rule in the NFL. So it's challengeable now, whether it's a non-call or a call scoring play pass interference is now completely reviewable. 
Um, I don't know that, you know, I was one of the big proponents of it because I always said, I don't feel like there should be any judgment calls that the referees can make that can decide a game. I mean, you look at that Saints Rams game, um, and you, you see what can happen when that happens. The bad part is you're watching it this year. You see a touchdown being scored. And all of a sudden, they go into the booth and they start looking at was there a push off? Was there hand fighting? They even get there quickly, and it, it to me it's becoming a huge mess because every single touchdown, they're going to go through and dissect every part of the play and see if there is pass interference. Um, it's not exactly what I was envisioning. Uh, what are you thinking about this rule? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of the rule. I don't like the implementation of the rule so far. I think I. Th- think it's something that's it's good that we have the option to to use um, that the coaches have an option to use it's something that uh and say college football every scoring you know every scoring drive or, or, or every scoring play is reviewed uh in a booth upstairs and then they'll message down to the refs hey there's something going on we need to look you know look at this a little closer um, if it, you know, I think that's something the NFL needs to look at so far. I mean, they just seems like they put together the rule and then they just kind of rushed it out, but they don't quite know what the rule is themselves. And they, they don't quite know how to, to, uh, implement the rule at the moment. So I like the idea of it, but at the moment I'm, I'm pretty unimpressed with how it's actually being used so far. Luckily, just like our Madden episode, I've got the solution here. I think what the problem is, whenever they were trying to sell this to the owners, um, it was, we don't want to slow the game down by having all these reviews on pass interference. To me, it should have to be a coach's challenge. I don't want to see, yeah. I don't want to see every single scoring play stopped and they search the play for pass interference. I don't want to see every turnover. So every single interception that is made, they can review and decide whether to slap a pass interference call on there. I think it should have to be one of the two coaches challenges because otherwise it's going to get super tedious. If they lob it up in the back of the end zone, it's a fade pass. Somebody jumps up, catches a touchdown. They go in and they're like, Oh yeah, he pushed off a little bit because it can also do offensive pass interference. I think it's going to slow the game down. It's going to make, it's going to make a mess when you're talking about scoring. And the thing I was telling you where I don't think the referee should be able to decide a game. Well, now it's going to be even worse because now they get to stop the game every time there's a score in big moments and decide whether somebody did any pushing off. Yeah, I think it's it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. I would like to see, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like to see a judgment call decide the game, but I think maybe you give each team one opportunity, one, one pass interference challenge per game. And you know, it's at your, you know, disclosure when you want to use it. Uh, if you want to use it early in the game on a play, you feel like could change the momentum of the game, go ahead and use it. But then you risk not having it at the end of the game or, you know, vice versa. You know, if you skip over a play early in the game, saving it for potentially the end of the game, and then nothing else happens throughout the rest of the game, then you've kind of missed your opportunity. So I think it's something that should be on the coach's hands. Um, it should be one, one pass interference challenge per game, um, out of your two challenges. Um, one of them can be pass interference. I think that'd be a better route to go. Um, but yeah, right now it's, it is, it is a huge mess. I think it's something that, uh, as, as the season goes along and as this rule goes along, it, they need to just keep adjusting it and hopefully get it figured out a little bit better 
um, here in the next coming weeks or months. You know, I guess maybe maybe even next season. But yeah, when you think about like you were saying, if it's up to the coaches and they have a limited number, even if it's just in the two reviews that they naturally get, um, if if a pass is thrown up to the end zone, a guy might push off a little bit, catch the touchdown. The coach has to decide whether that was enough to waste his challenge on. Because if yeah. it was incidental or it was barely there, they're not going to challenge it. But whenever the NFL basically reviews every single touchdown, it's going to slow the game down so much because every touchdown is going to take two or three minutes because they're going to go through and dissect it. Um, I don't want to see it. I, I, I just think they need to keep it to the coaches, like you said. I, I think it'll make it go a long way. I like the rule. Implementation is just awful right now. Yeah, I think it's it's a good idea. They just just got to iron some things out or a lot of things out at the moment. So we'll see how it goes. And even last night, I, so I was watching the Chiefs and Steelers game, and the Chiefs were on defense. Steelers start running down the field. One of their receivers stops. The Chiefs guy runs by him. The Steelers guy catches a touchdown. They call offensive pass interference against the Steelers. When when the booth look or when the broadcast team looked at it, they didn't even touch. It's like that clearly wasn't offensive pass interference. They reviewed it and somehow they upheld it. And they went back and looked at it and they said, Well, there was some hand fighting at the very beginning of the route. And it's like, this is ridiculous because it, you know, even though it was against my team, I thought it was ridiculous. There's no way it was offensive pass interference. Took a touchdown off the board and they had to settle for a field goal. Yeah, it's um I mean, right now I think uh, as soon as it, it burns your team, whoever your team is, whether you're a Chiefs fan, Cowboys fan, Steelers fan, Patriots fan, whatever it is, as soon as it burns your team one time, the NFL is just going to get bombarded with with complaints, and it's going to force their hand, um, especially if it burns, say, like the Eagles or the Bills or you know someone like that that have those just diehard, brutal fans uh, that that just don't care. And as soon as it burns one of those teams, I mean the NFL's the NFL's in for a for a bit of an awakening. Yeah, and I think it's especially true if if it's a game deciding call. Um, you look at the reason this rule was made was the one time it happened in the Rams Saints game. Imagine if the Saints throw a touchdown at the last second to win the game, and they go back and review it and say, "Oh, he pushed off." It's gonna they're gonna melt down. It's gonna be. Uh, uh, hard to watch thing, and that's when the change will really happen. I think the tight ends will probably be the ones who hate it the most because they'll be getting a lot of push off penalties. <laughs> yeah, I, I could definitely see that. All right, so let's shift gears again and go to our contract holdout. It's sad that we have to have this every single week, but let's check up on the situations. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, Adam Schefter is reporting that Zeke's in the best shape of his life, weighing in at the low 220s, the lowest he's been since his rookie season. Um, he also reports that they're not that close into an agreement. Uh, you getting worried yet after two weeks in the preseason? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, there was reports and confirmed uh, uh, reports that were confirmed that he did fly from Cabo to Dallas um, <clears throat> recently. So I'm hoping that's a sign of, you know, not necessarily that there's a contract in place, but that the two sides are going to sit down and talk and try and iron this out because. I think he realizes if he misses some games, uh, he's losing money there. But I also think the the Cowboys realize what happened a couple seasons ago when they didn't have him. You know, they do need him. Um, 
at, through both preseason games, the Cowboys offense has has struggled so far in terms of running the ball. Week one, they were they were not good. Uh, week uh, week two against the Rams, uh, on paper it doesn't look bad, but I mean they had 94 yards and a touchdown, but five of those uh, or five of the attempts were for 42 yards and a touchdown by uh, Pollard, their rookie running back. The rest of the team combined for 19 attempts for 42 yard or 52 yards, sorry, uh, and that includes a 10 yard run by Cooper Rush. So. Uh, if you take away Pollard's efforts and you take away Cooper Rush's efforts, uh, I mean, they had 18 carries for 42 yards. Uh, I mean, you're talking just over two yards per carry. Um, and that's, that's against, you know, mostly backups and that's with mostly backups, but that's still not, not a, a great sign. It's not a good look for the Cowboys. So I think they're realizing that they need to get Zeke in there. They need to get him playing, but Zeke's also realizing I want to make my money. Uh, let's see if we can iron out a deal. So that's what I'm hoping this this flight to Dallas means. Yeah, I'll be curious to see which side budges because you hear the Joneses talking about how they've got to make deals that can keep their young core intact. Um, and then you get Ezekiel Elliott, who wants the opposite of that, who wants a groundbreaking deal. It's going to be somebody's going to have to budge at some point. Um, really all signs point to the Joneses having to, but we'll have to see how that really plays out. Yeah, absolutely. So another one, Melvin Gordon, Adam Schefter also reports no progress has been made and they're saying Gordon's prepared to sit. So this one looks a lot less optimistic, especially because the Chargers are already putting a plan in place. They're saying that they're going to do an Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson, 50-50 split at running back. I don't think the Chargers are planning on having him and I don't think he's planning on playing for the Chargers again. So. In my mind, the Melvin Gordon one's pretty much a closed book. I don't think they're even negotiating anymore. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I mean, there's really not much to report. It's the same stuff we've been saying for a couple of weeks now. I I I don't see this ending anytime soon, if at all. Um, I could definitely see this being the Le'Veon Bell situation. So, uh, I mean, luckily for the Chargers, they do have a plan in place. It's not going to be as good as it would have been with Melvin Gordon, obviously. But if they feel comfortable going into the season with Eckler and Jackson, then, um, you know, that's what they're going to do. And I, I think they're at a standpoint of they're not they're not willing to overpay for a running back. And Melvin Gordon's at a standpoint where he's not willing to to take less than what he feels he's worth. Yeah, and it's it's a really bad time to be a Chargers fan because really this is their best offensive weapon and now their best defensive weapon is heading to injured reserve, or at least going to probably miss eight games. So you're talking about a great player on both sides of the ball, right off the bat, gone. All right, so let's roll on to some fantasy impact. Uh, we just talked about Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson doing a 50-50 split. Um, do you draft either one of them in fantasy? Uh, yeah, I do. I don't draft them either one as uh, RB1, but I draft them as potentially RB2s, but definitely RB3s. Um, Austin Eckler would be a great guy to have as, um, you know, with his pass catching ability, he'd be a great guy to have as, as a backup option. Um, a guy that needs to come in and play every now and then for you. Uh, Jackson, I'm a little less unsure on just cause he's not quite as proven as, as Eckler, but I think he's still an RB three option. Just maybe around the lower side of that. Um, but yeah, I absolutely would draft both of them. 
it's really not a bad situation in fantasy because in PPR leagues, Austin Eckler is going to be super beneficial because he catches a lot of footballs. I think Justin Jackson is going to see a lot of red, red zone goal line work. So really it's going to be hard to lose with either one of these guys. And like you said, I don't, I don't see them being RB ones, definitely RB twos for probably both of them. And, and if you can get them as low, especially Justin Jackson as an RB three in the draft, you're really looking good. And all that, of course, is dependent on Melvin Gordon being gone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something hopefully a lot of people haven't drafted yet. Hopefully in the next week, week and a half, we get a few more answers on this Melvin Gordon situation. So you're a little more clear going into the draft. But again, it's just kind of a wait and see at the moment. I don't expect much out of it, though. If you have already drafted, check for at least Justin Jackson on the waiver wire. I know Austin Eckler was going up higher even when Melvin Gordon was going to be there. Um, and, you know, if they're not on the waiver wire, now might be a good time to make some trades because people that don't follow closely might not realize the Melvin Gordon situations as dire as it is. So yeah. make those some trade targets for you. Okay, in Baltimore, we talked last week. Lamar Jackson did not run at all. He just passed and he looked really good. This week, he flips the script. He has four great runs. One of those runs was a stunning touchdown run that didn't count because of a penalty, but still, um, he's flashing again. Um, does this move him up your boards? I mean, this guy's a weapon. Yeah, I mean, he he's a guy, I, I still think in fantasy, he's a backup quarterback. Uh, I don't necessarily want him as my number one, but again, if you can get him as your quarterback, great option to have. I think what he's doing right now is proving to his team and and probably the rest of the NFL that he doesn't necessarily have to to run the ball for the offense to score. Um, it's I mean Jackson score he had led him on two scoring drives plus he had the one touchdown called back um, like you said his phenomenal run um, that he had called back so I think he's showing a little bit that hey I can throw the ball I can move the offense um, but don't forget you know I'm I'm also as good a runner as almost anyone in the league. Uh, including running backs. So, it, I mean, he's definitely a great QB2 option. Um, not quite a QB1 option for me at this point, even with how he's so far. And I'd like to see him develop kind of a Russell Wilson mentality. Drop back to pass, find the open lane and take off running. Instead of designed runs for him, which I know Harbaugh's doing, I'd like to see him scramble around, try to get people open and throw it because you know he's he's got a decent arm. His accuracy is not quite there, but run around and just his presence of being able to run is going to open some receivers up. And if it doesn't and he takes off, he's obviously dynamic in the running game. I just don't want to see him carrying the ball 20 times a game and getting hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's look at some of the rookie quarterbacks this year that are struggling a little bit now. Um, last week, Daniel Jones had a great game. This week, he had a couple fumbles. Um, Kyler Murray looked great last week. This week, he uh, looked shaky to, at best. I mean, there was a play where he <laughs> was the, the pass rush was coming to him. He jumps back to avoid the pass rush, doesn't realize he jumps back into his own end zone for his safety. So a little bit of struggle coming from the rookie quarterbacks. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones was pretty up and down. I mean, he did fumble a couple times, but, I mean, passing-wise, uh, he was 11 of 14, 161 yards, had another touchdown. So he's only thrown three incompletions all all preseason. So I think from a passing standpoint, that's great. Ball security should be a fairly simple thing to fix for him. 
Um, I mean, he he's looking good uh, in terms of passing, which is what everyone was worried about. So Daniel Jones, I still think he's he's trending up in terms of the rookies. Uh, just has to fix that fumbling issue a little bit. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, I mean, better game this week than last week. Um, obviously, last week he threw two interceptions. This week he did throw 114 yards, had a touchdown. Um, but he was, you know, he was sacked three times in limited play. So, uh, and his completion percentage, I mean, he was only seven of 14. So, um, I mean, I think that lack of mobility kind of showed last night uh, or in their preseason game, sorry, a couple few days ago um but uh i think his lack of mobility is kind of shown and i think it's it's a it's leaving him as a target but it's also affecting his completion percentage because i think he's having a little more trouble stepping up in the pocket and getting those throws away um with that offensive line they have so i think he needs to be able to move a little bit and uh create you know essentially kind of create a pocket or a clean passing lane for himself uh and then kyler murray i mean i think you know, what his game did is kind of show him what, you know, essentially what the real NFL is going to be about. You know, I think last week he was tricked a little bit. I think he came in, had some success, thought he probably had it figured out and thought he could probably still do some of the stuff he did in college. And last night, I mean, he showed that, or he was shown that, you know, you can't necessarily do that stuff. Like you said, he jumped back into his own end zone. I think he probably had in his mind of, I'm going to make this play, then I'm going to do this. And when he started it, it, it ended pretty quick because the guys in the NFL a little quicker, a little more, uh, you know, a little better than college players, obviously. So, I mean, they all struggled. Uh, Jones, I think is still looking like the best one at the moment in terms of just sheer play. Um, but I, I do still have pretty high hopes for Kyler Murray. All right. So I got one. I know you're going to be excited about Delaney Walker makes his return and he shows that, why he's Mariota's security blanket has a great game, catches a touchdown pass. How excited are you to see Walker back? I love seeing him back. Uh, we went to the same college, uh, Central Missouri, both mules. So um, every year, if Delaney Walker's on the board at at a proper time, I always draft Delaney Walker because he's. I mean, he's not only Mariota's security blanket, but he's a great fantasy security blanket. Um, he's someone that. Mariota can rely on from a fantasy standpoint. You know what you're going to get out of him. Uh, I mean, you're going to get your six, 700 yards. Typically, you're going to get a few touchdowns. He's going to be a top five or six tight end. So I think from from a Titans on the field standpoint, it's great for Mariota to have him back. I think from a fantasy standpoint, it, you know, in, a, in the weakest position in, in fantasy football, honestly, or the thinnest position in fantasy football, um, having that that extra player out there that we didn't have last year um, is is great, especially since we lost Gronk. Uh, I mean, it, getting someone like a Delaney Walker back does give a little more security to that position. So from the Titan standpoint, it's great. From fantasy football, it's also Especially where you can draft him. He's, he's such a low draft pick right now because he's injured all last year. We know he's going to be solid. Um, I play a lot of daily fantasy. And on draft.com, I did the call of best ball league where you basically draft a team. You don't touch it all year. They auto start your best players. I took that tier one tight end. I think it was maybe Eric Ebron or even a little higher. Um, and then picked up Delaney Walker late in the round because he's just a great, great, like you said, a security blanket for fantasy as well. So I'm pretty excited about his season this year. Yeah. So here's some crazy news. I mean, this doesn't have to do with the preseason, but. 
last Wednesday in practice, Jimmy Garoppolo on five consecutive pass attempts through five interceptions. Does that worry you at all? Uh, I mean, a little bit, but it also kind of makes me, I mean, I didn't see the film or I didn't, you know, I didn't look too far into it because I mean, it could just be them running a drill and it could just be a, you know, maybe he was, they had him thrown against double coverage that, um, I don't really know the, the situation of it. Um, but I mean, it is a little worrisome that he, if it was in 11 on 11 scrimmage and he threw five straight interceptions, then yeah, I'm, I'm definitely worried about it because it makes me wonder about his decision-making and his arm and all this stuff. Um, but if it was just, you know, running maybe some seven on seven drills and, and practicing double coverage or practicing certain throws and he just wasn't getting him there, then I'm not necessarily as worried about that, but um, I mean, Garoppolo, I mean, he's proven he can be a, you know, a capable NFL starter. He hasn't done it on a continuous basis, but, um, I mean, I think he can be a capable starter, um, especially in that Kyle Shanahan style offense. It fits perfectly for him. So I think he's going to be fine overall, but, but, uh, I mean, if it keeps up, obviously, you know, keep an eye on it. He's one of the biggest question marks for me at the QB position this year, um, Obviously, he's traded from New England to San Francisco. He comes in, what, four games, wins them all, looks really good. Comes in the next season, gets injured early. Um, It's kind of one of those things where you don't really know how much defenses have had a chance to prepare for him. You don't know much about him because you're working with such a small sample size. And then you hear reports like this where Kyle Shanahan didn't seem to really enjoy the five straight picks in practice. So... It's uh, it's kind of a, a question mark there. A lot of people have him as a QB too. Uh, just I don't know. I don't know. It's it's really tough with him. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I mean, I I definitely don't want him as a QB one, but QB two he could be an option. I think that's all we've got for you this week. Um, what do we got in store for next week, Mike? Uh, we're going to be going over week three of the NFL preseason. We'll can we'll keep you updated on the in a NFL holdouts and the injuries that happen between now and then, uh, the Antonio Brown situation, and we'll keep you updated with the uh, rookie quarterbacks. You know the situations going on with them and how they've been doing in practice, uh, and any other headlines that happen between now and then. All right, we'll see you guys next time.